Ladies and gentlemen, inside today's Locked on Canadians, I do my best to recap a 14-goal, 11-goal first period insanity barn burner between the Montreal Canadiens and the Florida Panthers, and so much more. All that and more inside today's show. Locked on Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 806 of Locked On Canadians. As always, we are your daily Montreal Canadiens podcast, free and available wherever you get your daily podcast or on YouTube. So thank you for subscribing. Ring the bell to get notified every time we post a brand new episode. I am, of course, your host. I am Scott Matla. It is Friday when you are listening to this, and normally we would have a mailbag today, and I was actually planning on potentially doing that. The Montreal Canadiens and the Florida Panthers had entirely different ideas. I do not know how long I'm going to need to talk about this game because there's a lot of it that I don't really know what what to to put into words in this game. It ended 9-5. And that is somehow not the silliest part of this contest. Because... (laughs) No goals were scored in the third period. One goal was scored in the third period, I think. I don't know. A lot of things happened over the course of tonight here. And to be very honest with you, if I am the Montreal Canadiens, I am burning this game film entirely just right to the ground. Poof, it is gone. It does not exist. Whatever the opposite of a defensive masterclass is, is what this game was. And I am smiling during this because the Panthers think that this is some big achievement. They still gave up five goals to the Canadians. There was a point in the first period. Sergei Bobrovsky had made zero saves on three shots against. He was rocking a 0-0-0 save percentage, and he was not the first goaltender pulled from this game. I... I guess we'll start at the beginning here, and I will try to do my best to go through this. I actually need to bring up NHL.com because there were too many goals to try and figure out here. Mike Matheson scores 16 seconds in. Great goal. Awesome goal. Love that for the former Panther, and I thought, good. We're going to get off to a good start tonight. Colin White and Carter Verhage score 34 seconds apart. Anthony Richard scores Two minutes later, Gustav Forsling scores 44 seconds later. Michael Pozzetta scores two minutes and 14 seconds later. Aaron Ekblad scores 49 seconds later. Ryan Lomberg scores a minute 24 later. Sam Reinhardt scores uh, a minute 40 later. Carter Verhage then scores 58 seconds later. That was the first period. Just the first period. And you know what? We are gonna we're gonna delve this recap into two segments here because I have some officiating complaints I would like to make. 
In the second period, Rafael Harvey Pinard scores, makes it 7-4. Aaron Ekblad scores. Matthew Kachuk scores two minutes after that. Rem Picklick scores with 547 played in the third to make it a 9-5 game. This was, without a doubt, the stupidest game of hockey I have ever watched. Samuel Montembeau was pulled after allowing, I believe, three goals on five shots. Jake Allen comes in. Jake Allen makes a total of 12 saves. He lets in six goals on 18 shots with a 667 save percentage. Samuel Montembeau then comes back in the game. He finished the game as the best goaltender of record by the stats with an 875 save percentage. Sergei Bobrovsky finished with an 833 and held, I think it took 11 minutes for him to finally make a save on a puck. I have absolutely no words for what this game was. And the thing is, I'm going to try to do a little bit of analysis here from what I saw before eventually this game just spiraled into absolute cocaine-fueled anarchy in the state of Florida. I believe that's actually their motto at this point. So there was a point where in those 34 seconds when the Panthers took a 2-1 lead, Jonathan Kovacevic was not having a good game. Caught out on two separate plays, and then it just kept piling up. There were no defensive reads, and the goalies were just not stopping anything. The Habs goaltenders look absolutely rattled in this game. And Sergei Bobrovsky, despite getting the win, didn't look any better. An 8-33 in a win in a game where... I. What do you eat? Like what, 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 what? I don't, I don't know. And the thing is there were like four penalties called all game. I'm pretty sure here. Caden Gooley got one. Chris Tierney got one. Anthony Richard got one. Aaron Eckblad got one and not count. And then Nick Suzuki. And we will get to that Nick Suzuki major penalty in a little bit here. I don't think I've ever seen a game like this. Montreal scored three goals on six shots in the first period. The Panthers had 19. They finished with 42 shots. The Canadians finished with 30. I, The only moral victory I think the Habs are taking out of this is that they didn't give up 10, which I, I guess pat yourself on the back for that. This was an ugly game. You came off a big win over the Penguins. Legitimately, a very impressive win over the Penguins, even if it was because Tristan Jarf could not stop a beach ball on a given night. It's still a big win. It's something to learn and build on because the Canadians were opportunistic. In this game, they started that way and then just forgot about the whole playing defense part of things here. It's a little rough for the tank, all things considered. And here's why. People are like, it doesn't matter. We need to lose games. Arizona and Vancouver are playing right now. If Arizona gets at least a point, even if the Habs won, Arizona would have stayed ahead of them in the standings, meaning Montreal would have held their sixth spot. They cannot drop below Florida, or not Florida, Philadelphia tonight. And beating the Panthers, who own the other first-round pick that we have, losing drops them closer out of playoff contention, and closer to making an impact on the overall lottery odds. And there comes a point that when you're losing games and they are stupid like this, that it has an impact. And we're going to dive into why the the continued stupidity that in this game that was out of control of the players and everything else. 
all coming up in our next segment. But first, today's show is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. The NBA season is well underway. The playoffs are around the corner. Teams have started to lock up those playoff berths, and we want you to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And it is so easy, especially if you're a new customer, because you can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet does not win. All you got to do is download the FanDuel app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Bet the money line, bet point scores, bet threes drained in a game, and if you're feeling lucky, combine them all into a same-game parlay to get yourself an even bigger payout. So don't miss this chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. And remember, make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook of the NBA, and us here at Locked On. Phew. Okay. Now, now comes the fun part. Now we're going to discuss not the stupidity that was all the goals. We're going to discuss the stupidity that was the officiating in this contest. And I can pinpoint the exact point in this game where the game not only jumped over the shark, they turned their jet ski around, shotgun to Mountain Dew, jumped back over it while doing a backflip. And at that point, it really makes me wonder, were the officials going to do anything in this game here? And the hard part about this is, no, they didn't. There was a point that in the offensive zone, Radko Gudis laid a big hit. And Michael Pozzetta came to defense of his teammate. And I believe it might have been Caden Gooley. And the problem with this is there's a four-way entanglement happening in the offensive zone. An official has his hands up to call a penalty. I believe this penalty was going to be on the Panthers. At least it very well should have been considering they were also in the scrum going the other way. And this is, I believe Sam Reinhardt's goal that made it six, three and kind of put this game just on ice completely. Sam Reinhardt scores a goal when there is very clearly a whistle before he shoots the puck. I don't know if Jake Allen would have stopped it. I don't, I don't know. I do not have that crystal ball here. The officials then look back and review it and go, there wasn't a whistle blown on the play. When the replay goes, you can hear the whistle before he shoots the puck. You can see the official with his hand in the air. They, in this game, quite literally just went and gaslit everybody watching this and went, you know what? That didn't actually happen. You're wrong. And I didn't go to 18 months of therapy to be gaslit by people who are bad at their job. Everybody in the arena heard it. Everybody watching heard it. Even the broadcast looked at this and was like, there was a whistle. What are you talking about? To say that, no, the whistle didn't go before he shoots it is absolutely mind-blowing. You can have your opinions about Dave Poulin as a color commentary guy, but he knows hockey. He, he, he's not going to lie and say there was a whistle. He's not Gary Galley. It's I, I do. I do not understand. And then they let that go. And at that point, you can just see all the air come out of the Canadians. Just absolutely deflated. You know, 40 something seconds later, Carter Verhage makes it a seven, three game. And just at that point, I look at that and I go, what are we even doing here? And don't worry, 
The officials definitely made an appearance again later in this game. Nick Suzuki, perfect angel child, captain of the Montreal Canadiens, given five in a game misconduct for cross-checking with the world's crappiest replay angle. Uh, late in the game, and I mean under like two minutes left, Nick Suzuki was assessed a cross-checking at 17.09 of the third period. Uh, Jonathan Kovacevic gets a shot in on goal. Sergei Bobrovsky saves it. Anton Lundell comes up to Nick Suzuki, gives him a cross-check. Suzuki cross-checks him back. Lundell comes back, cross-checks him seemingly around the chest area, and Suzuki seemingly responds with another high cross-check. Nick Suzuki got the only penalty in this play before Jonathan Kovacevic jumped in to, you know, defend his captain. No one else jumping in the scrum got a penalty. Anton Lundell, who cross-checked Nick Suzuki, did not get a penalty. They reviewed it because they named it a major so they could review the penalty. You can see the clip on my Twitter account. It's from the penalty box, like, offside camera. It's a replay for ants. And I look at that and I go, there's definitely a cross-checking penalty there. You take Suzuki and you take Lundell and you just say, you both get, you know, unsportsmanlike 10-minute misconducts, go to your locker rooms. Just smooth it over and send them off the ice. Giving Suzuki five in a game and Lundell absolutely nothing is so bonkersly stupid that I wouldn't believe it if they didn't score 10 goals in the first period of this game. And I look at this and I go, Nick Suzuki is not someone who has has a history of dirty hits or any kind of history with the NHL Department of Player Safety. And he got tossed from this game. And I forgot the worst part about that whole Sam Reinhardt goal thing. Martin St. Louis wanted an explanation about why that goal counted when he heard a whistle. And the officials would not even speak to him on the bench admittedly i don't know who the officials are in this game and i'm kind of probably happy about that because if i did i'd probably be even more upset i could probably find out here if i wanted to there they are kendrick nicholson pierre lambert killian mcnamara and johnny murray you suck at your job to be quite honest you you called a crappy terrible game were there penalties on the canadians in this game yes i I, I look at this game and I just, I do not know. It was a cacophony of errors and stupidity across the board. And that Nick Suzuki getting ejected at the end is just a cherry on top of all of that. Losing games is fine. Losing games where things like this seemingly just conspire against you is infuriating as a team, as a guy who wants to find good things happening in these games. And yeah, Sometimes they're few and far between. Sometimes you you get, you know, yourself smashed in like you did against the Avalanche. Okay, fine. A game like this that was tilted because the officials are bad at their job, and admittedly the Canadians were not up to it. Who knows? Florida might have scored on the next shift anyways. Who knows? Based on the way the first period went, the Canadians could have scored on the next shift. I don't know. My biggest fear with all this now, because the Department of Player Safety is that the way it is, Jordan Bennington got suspended two days, uh, two games today for his um, diaper filling against the Minnesota Wild. If Nick Suzuki gets suspended an equal or larger amount, I will happily 
Or if he doesn't, I mean, I'm expecting the NHL Department of Player Safety to do something stupid because that's what they do. And when he does, I will form an emergency episode here. I will sit here and rant and rave until they take me off the air. I I don't understand it. I don't understand the NHL officiating standard. Standard. The standard is crap is what it is. They don't care. If, like I said, if they gave him two and said, you guys are getting game or misconducts for just being stupid buttheads, get off the ice. I'd be like, fine. That makes sense. I agree with that. They're being dumb. Before anyone gets hurt, get them off the ice. Surprisingly, the only person who got hurt, unfortunately, was Caden Gooley, but he seemed to play anyways, which who knows about that. It's across the board. It was both the funniest and dumbest game I've ever witnessed as a Canadians fan, and I've seen a lot of them. We just passed the anniversary of the Habs 4-1 comeback against the Ottawa Senators in Montreal, the Ides of March game, which was very dumb. This was another otherworldly level of just stupidity. Like Joe Rogan wishes he could be on this level of just pure insanity at any given time. And boy, I do hope they never play another one like that because I don't think it is good for my heart. We're going to transition things here. I know we usually do a mailbag on Fridays. I had another important topic I wanted to get to because it is very relevant for those of you who know me. So we will push the mailbag to some point next week. I do have some plans I am working on inside my head and with other potential guests. And we're going to get into all those next week. But coming up next, QMJHL made some big, big announcements this week about fighting in hockey. And we're going to get into that coming up next. We are back here for our final segment here Friday at Locked on Canadians. As always, follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadian. Subscribe wherever you get your daily podcasts on YouTube. Ring the bell to get notified every time we go live so you can see my handsome face or my very delightful co-host when she is back from vacation. So those of you who follow me on Twitter or have for a while know I am not a pro fighting and hockey person with the caveat that I understand in the heat of the moment, emotions run high and fighting happens in sports. All sports happens in baseball. It happens in hockey. It happens in soccer. It happens in football, happens in basketball. These things happen because you have testosterone and you have just emotions and a whole bunch of meat headed dudes being dudes against other dudes And these things happen. I am not trying to ban fighting from hockey. I want to see it reduced as much as possibly organically in the game. And this started when the AHL a few years ago started to institute new rules in that if you go over so many fights in a season, you serve a one game suspension. If you hit another threshold, it's three games. And then every game you get a game suspension for every fight after that point. In games now, you get two majors. You can fight twice in a game before you are tossed for the night. And if you instigate a fight in the last five minutes of a game, I believe, you are immediately suspended for the next game. Instigating meaning like pre-planned off the face-off kind of nonsense. You are chucked immediately. And I think they're even a little strict with that. that They do it even outside of that. The suspensions aren't included in that. In the final five minutes, they are. The QMJHL seems to be cracking down even further on that. And everyone who knows the QMJHL knows it is the wild, wild 
East, I guess, in terms of insane things happening. Their plan, I believe they're using a bill in the Quebec Charter of Sports. If I have my terminology wrong on that, I am very sorry, but I'm going off of what I had hastily written in my phone while I was at work today in that they want to see fighting eliminated as much as possible. And they're switching to what looks like European NCAA rules a little bit here. That if you fight in a game in the QMJHL in the upcoming season, you are done for the night and you will serve an immediate suspension the game after that. And naturally, people are upset about this. Ah, the game's getting soft, blah, blah. These are teenagers. Teenagers probably don't need to be giving each other further brain damage than what's already happening in a standard hockey game. I like this. And one, uh, it was Tony Ferrari who pointed this out and also Scott Wheeler who had some stats on this. There are 0.07 or 0.7 fights per game in the QMJHL this year. That's a real, real low number here. And I kind of like this idea because I've liked it in the NCA and I've liked it in Europe. If you're going to fight, okay, they're not going to stop you. But putting in an organic deterrent to this, I think is something that helps naturally eliminate things because the game is getting more about skill. People are going to fight. It happens. Good people fight in games all the time. Sidney Crosby's gotten in fights for God's sakes. Like it happens. Organically putting in a way that helps one. It also helps kind of sever emotions here. Cause let's say you're in the queue and you're playing a two game series against your rival team. And on night one, you know, there's a big hit against your team captain and you get in there, your gloves are off. Everybody's heated for the rest of that night. And you got to play that team. Let's say 18 hours later, you have Friday night game, and then you have a matinee on Saturday afternoon. If you and the person who fought, who are definitely fired up, are not in that game, you bring the temperature down in that game, and you focus more on hockey. Yes, there will be tight checking, and it will be hotly contested, but you don't have to worry about it boiling into Hab Senators or Jordan Bennington nonsense in these games. And that's okay. It's a safety thing because these are kids and some people over the age of 20 and 21 years old. Teenagers don't need to be fighting. And I'm not asking for them for to them to be like, if you fight, you're out of the league for 10 games plus. I'm not asking for them to say you can't fight at all. I haven't said that. I like watching fights in hockey. I am admittedly, I, I have been a boxing and an MMA guy. Like I've competed in combat sports. I enjoy a good scrap in hockey because it gets the blood pumping in a way that is hard to describe. I don't want to see them ban it because then every one, the narratives and everything are going to be absolutely dreadful. And also you can't ban it. Sports by nature are always going to be highly emotional across the board. I like the idea that the AHL and the QMJHL are starting to put in place here. You fight too many times, guess what? You're going to sit a game after that. You fight even more after that, you're going to sit more games after that. If you want to play and continue to hold a roster spot, especially in like junior leagues and in the AHL, if you're not playing, there is someone who damn sure wants to take your spot. You might be teammates, but this is their dream too. 
And keeping yourself in the lineup is one of those ways to keep your dream alive. I like this. I really like the idea of where this is going because they're not outright banning it. The, people know that if you try and ban it, people are just going to do it more. It's like kids and sneaking out and everything like that. Strict parents make smart kids, make sneaky kids. I really like this idea. I don't want them to remove it from the game. I don't think they will. There's going to be too much old school thinking to potentially make that happen. And if you can make little bits of progress that go towards player safety, you know, development, getting the game to focus more on the speed and skill and finesse parts of it and not the extracurricular parts of it. We don't see teams carry goons anymore. You know, if you're, if you're a goon in the modern NHL, you're probably taking a regular fourth line, third pairing defensive shift. People can call Arbor Jack a goon all he wants. That dude plays second pairing minutes and scores goals for the Canadians or did before he popped out his shoulder. Ryan Reeves is probably the last of that kind of player in the NHL. And even he can take a regular shift. Usually the game is naturally phasing them out in like a form of Darwinism. And that if you can't skate and you can't play, you're not going to stick in the NHL unless you play for the Arizona coyotes, apparently, but even in the AHL fights are slowly kind of dwindling down there. Fights happen. Fights happen a lot. Well, not, as much as they used to, but fights still happen. But because of the new rules in place, guys are not as willing to throw down two, three times a night because they want to keep playing because they know if I get in here and I fight twice and I'm out for the rest of the night and someone steps up in my place, my ice time might be gone. I might be scratched the next game. Who knows? I'm I'm interested to see where this goes from the QMJHL. I think learning from Europe and from the NCAA is something that is important in a lot of facets. And it's like, yeah, if you're going to fight, that's fine. We're not going to stop you until the next game. I don't want to see it gone entirely. I just want to see it organically, you know, handled a little bit here. And I think that's exactly what the QMJHL are doing and the AHL because it's about development. It's not about fights and everything else. That's my whole spiel on that. I'm sure people are going to have a much different opinion on this than I will because I've always kind of been staunchly anti-dumb fighting in hockey. I wrote my senior thesis on fighting in hockey and concussions. It, it was a lot, so it kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I'm understanding that people have different opinions than me on that. However, it is going to be Friday. I don't want to leave you on a downer note. We are going to leave you now. We will be back on Monday with three up, three down your weekend recap, and probably so much more uh, inside that episode. Remember to follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. Subscribe wherever you get your daily podcasts and subscribe on YouTube. Ring the bell to get notified every time our new episodes go live. You can follow myself at Scott Matla on Twitter. Highlights, nonsense, everything else as I lose my mind through the Aaron Rodgers saga and through the Premier League season. Folks, it's been a pleasure, and we will see you all next time.